Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside the Cylinder, a Detroit Pistons podcast. This is episode 113, and um, yeah, we are really just in the midst of the tank here. This is your boy, David Fernandez, writer over at DetroitBadBoys.com, and I am joined, as always, by Matt Way. Matt, what's going on? Hey, David. Uh Glad, uh, glad to be with you. Glad you're back after uh, after last week. Um, I do just want to just quickly apologize to everybody for. Uh, I know the audio was was a little rough last week. We had a we had a rough night, um, but we do appreciate Duncan coming on, and um, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully this episode's audio will be will be better for everyone as we as we talk a little bit about uh, the Pistons and uh, the tank progress. I think. Well, they do call me the Dr. Dre of uh, localized, uh, tank-worthy NBA podcast producers. So, you know, (laughs) having that throne is uh, something that's important to me. Um, You know, I don't know how many people have said that, but I'm pretty sure I've heard that around just when I'm walking around in the streets. Like, oh, is that Dr. Dre of Inside the Cylinder localized Detroit Pistons podcasting. It's like, yeah, that, that, that's definitely me. So, so no, no worries. No, no autographs either. Um, but uh, yeah. So as I said, we're in the midst of the tank. We put up a pretty tank worthy effort. Actually, I was kind of biting my fingernails there uh, in a losing effort to the Charlotte Hornets. Matt, I know you just posted the um, Hornets recap game over on DetroitBadBoys.com. So go check that out, everyone. Um, but, uh, I guess, you know, having it, you just freshly put pen to paper, anything that sort of stood out to you that you want to talk about, about this game? Well, I, you know, it was certainly the night of Hamadou Diallo and Seiko Dumbuya. Um, they were two of the five of the, in the starting lineup, Josh Jackson sat, uh, Mason Plumlee, Corey Joseph, Jeremy Grant continued to sit and, um, you know, the three rookies really struggled tonight, um, especially from the field, just shooting. Um, Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, Killian Hayes all had really poor shooting nights. Um, but but Hamadou Diallo really kept the Pistons in the game the whole way. Um, Detroit was – they were losing pretty much the entire game, but it was never really out of reach. Um you know, ended with a Killian Hayes miss to send the game into overtime. And then Sekou Dumbuya was also great. I thought um, he and Diallo both did a great job getting downhill and Charlotte really had no chance of defending them in their drives or at the rim. They they finished very well. They both made, I think Sekou made two three-pointers. Diallo made three when, when the Hornets did close the driving lanes. Um, just very impressive performances from from both, and and it, it's especially encouraging to see from Seiku. I noted in the recap, I saw a couple times where he was actually like directing traffic kind of offensively, even when he didn't have the ball yet. And um, he he he's just looking a lot more comfortable on the court. He has a much better idea of what he needs to do with the ball, without the ball. And, um, you know, I I definitely have seen some uh, improvements from him in terms of his processing of what's happening, especially offensively. And I thought it kind of all culminated tonight in a uh, in a great 20 point performance. 
Yeah, it was, you know, you saw Seku scoring on in three levels tonight. You know, it wasn't just something where he had made a nice couple of cuts or he hit, you know, an open three here or there. Um, you know, he had a really nice couple drives to the basket. He had a nice couple possessions back to the basket. Um, confidently stepped up, as you mentioned, went two of five from three tonight. Um, and, and just really seemed to sort of put it all together for, I think he was in the game for like 35 minutes or so. So he, he was impactful and, and definitely was part of the reason why they were able to keep this game close throughout the first half. And then Hamadou just sort of kept it cruising all game long. Uh, he was also putting the ball on the floor really impressively. I think he hit four threes actually, but that, I mean, that's just, you're not going to expect that from him every single night, but he was really confident in the way that he was looking for his shot. And then also, um, you know, just executing. So it, it was good to see a couple of the guys that, you know, we've been talking about how well Sadiq's been playing for a while now. We've been talking about the same thing from Stewart and then Frank Jackson's just been on a tear as of late. So it's really nice to see a couple of guys that haven't necessarily put it together for, I mean, although Hamadou's been playing pretty well as of late recently, but not to this level where there's, you're saying like, Hey, you know, these guys are getting buckets tonight and both of them were able to do that in really impressive fashion. And both were, um, you know, really consistent just all night long. So it's just nice to see a couple other guys get a little bit of shine, um, you know, as we sort of close out this season. For sure. And, you know, I think there was some warranted concern about how Hami had played recently. Um, you know, he had, you, you, you mentioned that he's been better um, I guess, and I guess recently it, it, that's a, that's a relative term. Um, but, you know, he had a one or two month stretch after his strong start where he, he really was struggling to finish um, just looked a little uncomfortable. And that, that definitely went away. Um, one of the, the plays, you know, I want to just note a couple of plays from each of them or one from each of them. Um, Diel had this like on the move going to his left, pull up like quick little, flick of the wrist um, in rhythm three pointer that he made that I thought was just like, we, we just haven't seen something like that from him. Um, it's in my, it's in my post. It, it's a, it was a Twitter clip from Pistons talk. Um, so check that out because that was, uh, you know, we, we've mostly seen him shooting with no one attempting to close out and he sits there and waits forever. And then, makes the shot. Um, but this was like a uh, off the dribble in rhythm three, which was, was nice. Um, and then the, the, the play by Seku that really impressed me was where he, cause it, it showed off everything that he was doing tonight, the aggressiveness, the patience, he, he made a nice aggressive move to the basket when there was a driving lane, three Hornets caught up to him. Um, he backed, down someone I don't remember who it was I think it might have been Caleb Martin um and just made a really nice patient move and and hit hit a little like under or up and on or I guess just a little um uh, a hook shot or a a scoop shot sorry um um with with his left hand that that looked good and went in um and that was kind of I thought the it, it was just a an exemplification of what Seku did tonight. Um, he he was making the right decisions when the situation it's called for for whatever it was that that he was doing, um, and that that was a, a great example of it. I thought. 
it's really something that you hope can continue, especially for Seku, you know, as this season comes to an end. You know, it would be really, really nice to see him put together a stretch for this final week, week and change of the season and finish strong just because it's something that we've all been waiting for. And and you and I have talked about it. Like you see it here in like snippets, uh, you know, a good play here, a good play there. But it would be awesome if he would be able to sort of capitalize uh, on this performance and sort of keep that energy going for the remainder of the season. He's definitely going to get the looks. It doesn't seem like the Pistons are going to be trotting out any type of traditional lineup. I guess if that even makes any sense anymore, but um, you know, for the remainder of the year. So that's something that, that I'm really hopeful of and that I'm going to be keeping my eye on just because it's going to be, you know, we're going to be in Detroit bad boys, like player review, like player preview season coming up here. So if we can sort of ride out this wave and have him continuing, and it doesn't necessarily mean that he has to score 20 points every single night, obviously, but just to, to be impactful and, and to to look engaged and to you know, continue just to make the right plays. I think that we're all going to be feeling a lot better about him going into the offseason into next year. Uh, frankly, it might be the difference between him being here next year and not. Um, you know, it, it seems like seems like a lot to put on him for six or seven games, however, however many it is at this point. Um, but you know he's he's going to get his chances in those games, and so it it really could, I think, be the difference of whether we see him on the roster next year or not. I think that's a fair assessment. Um, but I did want to just talk really quickly about you know some of the bad of tonight. Uh, Killian Hayes, you know he he played twenty eight minutes tonight. He went one of six from the floor, one of five from three. He missed the initial I guess game tying free throw attempt uh to finish out the game and then he took a really bizarre I don't really know why he was taking that three to begin with uh to to finish out the game and that resulted in a three-point win for the Charlotte Hornets uh all in all Killian this was for me one of the the worst performances that I've seen out of him and I don't mean that just from like a basketball sense but the confidence wasn't there you were seeing a lot of him just dropping his head he does this pretty regularly honestly like he he will beat himself up after a bad play um but it just was not there for him tonight like it, it he didn't play well on defense he didn't you know he wasn't uh very impactful you know getting into the paint i, I had watched kevin o'connor's um video i, I guess just video about Killian Hayes and, and you know, telling everyone to sort of pump the brakes and not call him a bus. And I, I loved the video. I thought he did a really good job of breaking down uh, Killian's game. But even tonight, you would see opportunities. I remember once uh, in this game, he had just a wide open lane like to, to the cup. It, it was an opportunity where he could have either gone up for a dunk or gone up for an up and under or even – you know, stopped and tried to hit a floater. And, but it was so, he also could have just gone straight up to the cup and, and tried to get a little bit of uh, contact and, and, and get to the free throw line. He had like about six different options that he could have done to score. And he just whipped it out to Frank Jackson, I think was the recipient of that pass, if I'm remembering the play correctly. And it's just all of the sort of things where it's just like, you know, there are, you are finding certain opportunities to, to score and, you, I don't know if it was because you weren't playing well in the first half or, or whatever it was, 
but but you just want to see him go for it, even if it isn't a miss. To just you know, that's what I'm saying. It's like it's not all about him shooting poorly, right? It's just about you want to see them sort of making the right decisions when they have a wide open lane towards a cup, right? Like that's not something that's a very difficult ask for an NBA player. Um, but I think it was just a testament to how sort of rattled he was from this game. I don't know if it was like I'm going against the mellow ball type of situation or, or what was going on upstairs, but uh, it, it was really a dishear- It was a disheartening performance. You know, it, it was just something where it was a good opportunity to sort of uh, uh, play well against a fellow lotto pick from uh, this past year's draft. And, uh, and not that the moment was too big for him or anything like that, but in general, it was just not a great game. And I think it's something to note because uh, I think there was some elements that I had seen in sort of the negatives from that O'Connor video that played out tonight. And uh, you, you just hope that Killian is actually going to be one of these guys that we're talking about uh, for the remain in the remainder of this season uh, that is able to finally put together some sort of like really impressive offensive scoring performance. Not that he's ever going to be your lead dog uh, and lead scorer on a team, but you do want to see something, you know, but and, and him look for a shot a little bit more aggressively. Uh, and that doesn't mean just settle for threes. So that was one thing I did want to know. It was definitely the, the low light for me of tonight's game. Yeah, he's, you know, he, Killing just looks tentative to me, like a little bit in everything he does. You know, his passing is still great. His defense is still really good for especially a rookie point guard. But everything's just a little tentative, I think. And that might be partly just his inexperience, his age. Part of it might, frankly, be coming back from the injury. I I don't know. But it's definitely affecting what he's doing. Um there was concern, I think, post-draft, um, before we even saw him on an NBA floor, that he couldn't create space. And I, I th- my sense is that that's not really that big of an issue. Like, he's not going to explode to the rim, maybe. But he, he he does show an ability to create space. And, and he doesn't have the, the tightest handle or, or anything, but he finds ways because he's just a smart player. He doesn't quite know what to do right now when he does create that space though. Um, And, you know, Dwayne Casey has a couple quotes from, from after the game um, about that, about him. Let me pull it up Um, because I, I want to just, I I, I think they were very, um, they're, they're very correct. He he said, um, and this is from James Edwards tweet. Says Casey wants Hayes to either get all the way to the rim with force or continue to find open shooters on perimeters, wants him to limit the runners. And I, I saw another quote about um for, I think it was from Casey as well, saying basically that like defenses are trying to force him into those runners. Um and they really are, I, I think, on some level, giving him the middle of the the um paint, um, um or or you know, the free throw line area because he doesn't quite know what to do when he gets there right now. And, you know, he's definitely going to need to develop that. It doesn't concern me all that much. If we're seeing it midway through next year, I think that's, that's a bigger, bigger issue. Um, The shooting doesn't bother me at all because he just, I I think his shot looks so good. And I, I I have confidence that he's eventually going to be a good shooter. 
Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. You know, I, I think when I saw that play develop and the one that I had mentioned about him kicking it out when he had the lane, my first thought was maybe he is just scared of contact right now, just sort of due to uh, the, the hip, obviously. And, and I, I couldn't blame him for, you know, being a little tentative when it comes to banging with the trees down low. He actually did have a nice uh, play to finish out the game, which got him to that free throw line, even though he missed one of those attempts where he did welcome contact on Bismack Biombo, which was encouraging to see. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I guess there, there's a certain elements that I saw tonight where it's like, dude, you have Zeller on you and you're on an Island right now. Like, just go at him. Like just you figure, you know, even if you don't, you get your shots swatted from behind. Uh, I don't care, but you do want to see like, you're the point guard and you're going against a dinosaur of a center. So yeah, I, I would see no fault in in saying, hey, you know, this is a, a, a situation where you need to be in attack mode. Um, but you're right. I, I, you know, I'm not writing the book on him. I'm not saying, uh, you know, I'm not uh, noting, I'm not pulling any alarms or anything like that. But um, I am just really hopeful, I guess, just in general, after seeing Diallo, after seeing Dumboya put together a performance tonight, I'm still like holding on to hope. Just see one sort of game where it's just like, okay, I'm going to get mine and the shots are going to fall just because that will have me feeling personally, just having me feeling a little bit better going into this offseason. No, for sure. And I, I totally agree with you. Um, and, you know, the play that you mentioned, I, he, he might end up frustrating some people with some of those, um, you know, where you have kind of a layup, but you find an open shooter instead. Cause that's just, that's just kind of his nature. Like that's, that's who Killian Hayes is. He loves to pass the ball. He loves to find shooters and he does that. And, and I think that's always going to be something that he will, he will do to some degree. Um, he'll, I think he'll learn to, to get his own shot a little better, but um, you know, what, what has been encouraging, I think, and you, you mentioned the beyondable play where he, he got to the free throw line and that's been a concern because that, that, that might be my biggest concern. He just hasn't gotten to the free throw line. Um, that and his refusal sometimes to use his right hand, that's something he's going to need to certainly sure. develop. Um, and you, you see it even, even in a non shot, like there was a, there was a play tonight where he, he really should have switched to his right hand and turned the corner, but instead he, he kept it with his left. So he had to, um, he was cutting to his right. So he had to kind of get further away from the defender to save his dribble like that. That's something that has to come. We, we have seen some situations. I think you saw in the first Hornets game where he kind of felt, I think challenged after the Pistons kind of put up a stinker in the first half and he really, battled hard and looked really good doing it in the second half. Um, <clears throat> I don't remember the opponent, but there was there was a game a few weeks ago where he was really aggressive getting to the rim and he got to the free throw line and he made a couple layups, a um, couple floaters um, at the end of a, a close game. So like you, you see those flashes, but we would definitely love to see an extended game of that uh, before the year's over. For sure. Well, I guess that's enough of, you know, just the Hornets recap for now. But um, should we move on to our, our next topic? Yeah. All right. So this is pretty much what everyone is paying attention to most. Um, it's the tank. And we've talked about it before, but now we are really uh, getting close to the end of the season. So it's good to monitor where everything stands. And these are obviously 
based on results, subject to change. So if you listen to this episode on Thursday, it might not be completely up to date. But with that being said, right now, Detroit is the second worst team in the league. Uh, they, uh, two nights ago, had lost a barn burner to the Magic. Uh, and uh, they lost another game, obviously, tonight to the Hornets. They have a massive game coming up next week against the Timberwolves. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I had pulled up 538's projections for the projected record, and this is updated uh, as of tonight. So right now, the Pistons are projected to finish with the second worst record in the NBA. And that is, uh, they would be a game, I guess, ahead of the, um, excuse me, uh, they would be a game ahead of the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder, Um Two games, or no, one game ahead of the Cavaliers, two games ahead of the Timberwolves, and two games ahead of the Magic for that second worst record. So, I mean, since we last recorded, we were really expecting them to finish third or fourth in the standings. And thanks to the Timberwolves sort of figuring it out as of late, and uh, the Thunder snuck a win randomly, and the Pistons had a big lead on them. Um, the Pistons have really put themselves in, in as good as position as possible to nab one of these top five picks. And I guess, you know, have you had any thoughts about what you've been monitoring from a tanking perspective, not just from the Pistons, but from around the NBA there, Matt? Um, you know, they're tanking more overtly than I expected them to be, frankly. Um, you know, I, I it seems like we're not going to get Corey Joseph uh, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, the rest of the year, which is certainly good for the tank. Um, and you're going to see, you know, like I, I guess Josh Jackson had a tooth problem tonight, which, which you know, maybe that's legit. Like that could be Sore like, right tooth. pretty painful. <laughs> I mean, if if it, if it's true, like it, it could be that kind of thing can be pretty pretty awful. For sure. Um, but yeah, like just those, you know, every little thing, like oh, you, you know, you. Um, kind of uh, turned your ankle uh, going in, but you're totally fine. Yeah, we're going to put you on the injury report. Um, Woke up on wrong, wrong side of bed. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> that would be <laughs> that would be a good one. Um, yeah, I, I, with Minnesota, I mean, they're playing way better. They're healthy. They're going to they're gonna win more games than the Pistons, I think, certainly, um, over the stretch run, even just not looking at the schedules. Um, so – the Pistons being two games up from fourth place, you know, they're, they've got a pretty good chance at getting the number two spot. I think, um, you know, I, I, I think last time we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, we were thinking they would maybe be fourth, possibly fifth, um, probably not third and, and no chance a second. And that's just completely flipped um, in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm looking at Detroit's remaining schedule right now, and their two easiest opponents would be the Minnesota Timberwolves, which they have a game with next week, and the Chicago Bulls. I, I've watched uh, quite a few Timberwolves game as of late. They frankly are just a better team than Detroit, especially if they're all if they're playing Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, and Anthony Edwards. Um, the Chicago Bulls are probably the scariest team for me. When it comes to like a surprise win, uh, even though they're going to be trying to win games just because they're still in that sort of 
no man's land in between like the lottery and possibly getting all the way to the play in tournament, even though it's looking less and less likely by the game for them. Um, So those are, uh, you know, I I don't necessarily know if they'll both be losses, but definitely they're two, I guess, easiest opponents left. And then if you look at their more difficult opponents, they have the 76ers, Nuggets, Heat, and Grizzlies. Heat and Grizzlies are definitely going to be trying to win games. They're their playoff certainty is not set in stone right now. And then you also have, I guess with the Sixers and Nuggets, it might just depend on where they're currently at in the standings and if they you know, are still fighting for the one seed because they are probably going to be engaged just because if you're the one seed in the Eastern Conference, you don't have to play both the Brooklyn Nets and the, the, the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, if you're two or three, then you would have to go through two of the three top teams in the East in order to make it to the NBA final. So I could see them fighting as well as this season continues. So it's definitely something that, that will be interesting to sort of follow. Um, you know, the Cavaliers have been putting together some super tank worthy efforts, including losing tonight's game 20 to four in overtime to secure an L. <laughs> so, um, so that their team to watch the, the uh, Oklahoma city thunder who have a tougher schedule than Detroit have put together one of the absolute stinkiest tank performances I've seen um, at least in the last couple of years. Uh, so they're a team that you'll have to watch out for. But all in all, you, you know, we already said it. It's really kind of impressive to see Detroit down there at two right now and to be projected to finish with the second worst record. Yeah, shout out to anyone who had the the Suns minus 12 tonight. Um, that, was a, that was a heck of a cover. Um, in terms of the one, the only other thing I have to add, um, you know, the one thing with Chicago is their they their pick goes to Orlando as a result of the Vucevic deal um, if they are outside of the top four. So they could be trying to tank pretty hard. Um, I don't know. I, it doesn't actually look like they can really get a whole lot worse um, than they they can't really get behind it. Cleveland and Orlando, so maybe not. Um, but with Zach Levine coming back um, from COVID, um, Vucevic being out, like you know, they might just shut it down and restart next year. So, so that game actually appears to me to be a whole lot, probably by far the easiest game the rest of the year because I, I would expect Minnesota to to be a bit better than Detroit, or at least to put a bit better lineup out there than Detroit can. I'm kind of impressed with Minnesota. I mean, it's it's probably not the best like strategic move to start racking up W's at the end of this particular season for this squad. But I, I will say, you know, the basketball gods might favor something like that just because they didn't lie down and die. And it, it is sort of nice to see those three guys all playing well uh, at this particular junction in the season. Now, will it mean that the Golden State Warriors wind up with their pick and then Everyone else has to sort of uh, be very terrified going into next season, possibly. Uh, but I will say that 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 has been a bright spot for me, and not only because it's helping out Detroit, but also just from a basketball perspective. It's been nice seeing those three guys healthy and actually playing at the same time because they've been really banged up, and the guys have been missing games left and right. You know, they're two guys, Cat and D'Angelo Russell. You know, earlier this season, so I've been happy to see that out of the Timberwolves. Yeah, I, I I respect it. Um, the the tanking just always feels so dirty to me, and it's uh, 
I struggle with Detroit doing it, even though I know it certainly benefits them. So I was just going to ask you, what are your thoughts on like the Pistons tanks right now? Just like Jeremy Grant, you know, has, you know, healthy scratches pretty much. There's no way he, if they were playing for the playoffs right now, these guys would be playing. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, it's, it's totally the right move from a strategic standpoint. Um, it just feels wrong to me. Um, but I, I totally understand why they're doing it. Um, and, you're at the point in the year where you're not worried that it's going to like affect you, affect your young guys or anything like that long-term. In fact, your young guys are getting, you're getting a better look at all of them um, and, and getting a better idea of what they can do, what they need to work on this summer. Um, <clears throat> what kind of roles you might want to see them play in summer league. Um, so this is certainly the time to just go all in on, on the youth. And also, and this has been a narrative for Detroit all season, even though that they are putting together these types of lineups and, you know, they went against the Orlando Magic who put together a particular, you know, this they that's pretty much all that their roster is, is like a tank lineup at this point. But uh, they're still keeping it relatively close in, in at least the last few games. So that's been nice to see that the young guys sort of trying to like grit and grind their way to some of these wins. But it's just a I guess it's a talent gap situation or they're just not hitting the shots at the right time. It's all good, but it, it is, uh, you're right. They're, they're playing the young guys, but, and they're still fighting. So I, I think that that might uh, just be good from these young guys sort of building their own smaller culture as sort of some of these guys will be part of this future moving forward too. Yeah. You, you you're never going to ask your young guys or any of your guys to not try. Um, but the fact that they can compete despite having such a pleated roster, depleted roster, excuse me, um, it, it's it says a lot about the makeup of the team, and and I think that the job that Dwayne Casey and Troy Weaver have done in terms of building a culture in such a short time and in such a difficult time period. For sure. Now, I just want to leave everyone with one number right now before we get to our next topic. And that is 80. So the number is 80. The Pistons, if they finish with the second worst record in the NBA, they will have 80% odds of landing a top five pick in the next year's draft, in this upcoming draft, I should say. Um, It's actually 79.9 technically, but we'll just round that up to 80. So that would mean that they have a 20% chance of falling to the sixth spot, the dreaded sixth spot. But uh, right now, if, if everything sort of shakes out as 538 says it's going to, which doesn't mean jack shit, but at the end of the day, there is a really, really good chance that Detroit does wind up uh, with the second worst record and they will have an 80th or, or an 80% chance of landing a top five pick, which for me would be huge. It'd be big for my mental going into the draft lottery because I know that I'm just going to be on just eggshells. I'm just going to be very nervous that day. Yeah, well, it, it'll give us uh, another great young player to, to talk about next season too. So I'm, I'm definitely cheering for it. For sure. So the final topic, and this is just a, a quick hitter here, but did you hear, did you listen to the uh, the Hoop Collective podcast this week? I I didn't. I've seen some stuff about it. The only Hoop Collective podcast I think I've listened to. I'm just not a big Windhorst fan. Um, 
But the one that I did listen to was the one that he melted down because I'm not a fan of him, which I, I did enjoy that one. That one was hilarious. I, I I wish there were more of them like that, to be honest with you. And that was like uncut some like bad feelings going on. They seem like they're actually okay now. Um uh Bon Temps and uh Windhorse, but uh that was a funny one. I had to listen to it when I started hearing like Twitter clips from that morning. I was like, oh my god, something actually went down on the Hoop Collective. That's usually the most vanilla podcast that's out there. Yeah, it was uh it was quite the experience. But I, my understanding is they did a redraft of this past uh this past draft, is that right? They did. They did a redraft with uh Mike Schmitz, uh who is now the uh, I mean he's Draft Express, but he's you know on on the ESPN staff now as well. And Kevin Pelton, who is an NBA writer, but he also focuses pretty heavily on the draft as well. So uh, just wanted to go over some of these picks real quick uh, because uh, they seem pretty high on Detroit overall. Um, in the redraft, they had Lamelo going one, uh, Anthony Edwards going two, Tyrese Halliburton going three. Patrick Williams staying at four. And then they uh, went up and snagged Sadiq Bay with the fifth overall pick in the redraft. Thoughts on any of those guys in like the, the top five? Is that how you sort of would, would see if you were a uh, – is that how it would shake out on your board, Matt? Yeah, uh, probably something, something similar to that. I think the top three are definitely correct in that order. Um, I'm maybe not as high on Patrick Williams as some people are. I, I just don't know what to make of him at this point. He might be really good, um, but I, I think he's got some holes to fill as well. So that that all seems pretty pretty reasonable to me. Yeah, that makes sense. And I honestly haven't watched enough Bulls this season to have a, a, a fully fleshed out thought on Patrick Williams, but I know they seem to like him a lot there. And um uh, I can see why that they would just kind of from like a raw perspective as well, just why they would pick him. He's also very, very young. I think he's younger than like two or three of the guys that are projected to go in the top five next season. So that might have something to do with it as well. But it's impressive that Sadiq, who had just turned 22 years old, um, has gone that high in the redraft. And I think it sort of gives me a little bit of just a, a sigh of relief in a certain sense that other people are seeing this Pistons rookie class the way that, that we have seen it um, and that we're not just like having like localized blinders on right now. Uh, but the, it, Sadiq's really just been so impressive so far this season. He's had some games where he's just gone off, but it, in, more so important than that, he's just been pretty damn steady, all things considered, especially being a rookie and playing as many games as he had in the starting lineup. Yeah, do you know who drafted Sadiq? The Brooklyn Nets. Or no, I, I'm the um, um, whether it was Pelton or Smith. Oh, okay. Uh, that was Pelton. I want to say. Okay, that makes sense to me. I I would I would imagine that Pelton would be pretty high on Sadiq, um, and I, I think I've heard him talk about him a, a couple times. Yeah, and then I believe they had Denny Avdij. I'm can't even Denny. I'm not even a Denny. I'm gonna yep. mess it up. Uh, went six again. Emmanuel quickly went seventh to Detroit, uh, and then let's just fast forward a little bit. Isaiah Stewart actually jumped uh, James Wiseman and was selected tenth. I think that was also a Pelton 
pick. No, that was a Schmitz pick, I actually think. Uh, but uh, one thing to note here as well, no Killian Hayes was selected uh, in the mock draft, redraft. And this is strictly the lottery team. So I assume he would have been picked for sure later on in the first round, but uh, was not selected in a lottery redraft. Um, I guess any thoughts on the, the end of that there, Matt? Isaiah Stewart going all the way up to 10th and no Killian Hayes showing up in the top 14 picks? Yeah, I mean, it's good to see Isaiah get recognized like that. Um, I haven't done a redraft like board myself, um, but I feel like I would have Isaiah at least that high. Um, I, I'm so high on Isaiah like long-term. I think he could be so good. Um, he's he, he just has the ability to do so many different things. He's shown showing that he can kind of be a pick and roll partner at all three levels. Like whether he does a pick and pop, uh, a hard roll, and we've seen him finish some some lobs from Killing Hayes that I didn't think he was maybe capable of finishing. Um, and he can also, you know, hit that elbow jumper. He can make the pass out of the short roll. Um, and his defense has been super impressive to me. So I, I would have Isaiah at least top 10. Um, and I think he's definitely, I would have him definitely as the second big off the board, um, after Okongwu, who I, I still think is, uh, is a super high potential type of player. Well, he was the first big off the board. Uh, Kongu was after him, and then he was also ahead of Wiseman. Um, any thoughts on Killian Hayes not being picked in the top 14? And I know this is kind of throwing this at you just because you haven't don't have the list of names in front of you. Uh, but no, from what um, you've seen, does he look lotto picky to you from, I guess, some of the games that we've seen, like the good stuff, you know, obviously taking in some of the bad. But I think this is more about like a ceiling type of situation for Killian Hayes and not the floor. Sure. So um, we're talking top 16, right? Um, 14. 14, 14 sorry, yes. Um, so that was, that was some bad on the, on the fly math right there. I feel like I would have Killian in the top 14. Like, I mean, I would have Killian probably higher than most people would because I just really believe in him. Um, but and, and I think part of his drop in this sort of exercise is just a, a matter of circumstance where he just, we just haven't seen him play this year hardly at all. And, and he, you know, he had that rough start. Um, but I haven't seen anything out of Killian that like would make me drop, make me think any less of him than where I did pre-draft. Like I, I, I might actually think more, think more highly of him. Um, I wasn't as high as, as, as a lot of Pistons Twitter was um, out of the draft, but I'm, I've, I've come around to him, which seems weird because he clearly hasn't played well, but I just see the potential there. Um, you know, outside of, you know, you have Edwards, Ball, Williams, Okoro, Okongwu, and you know, even give, you know, Stewart and Sadiq Bay, Halliburton, that's eight. Like, I feel he should definitely be in the top 14, but I, I also understand why people wouldn't put him in there because of how poorly he's played this season. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't take Emmanuel quickly over him, even though quickly has been clearly better this year. 
Okay. Well, you heard it here. I, I also, when I was listening to this redraft episode, I should have had it all written out. So I'm sorry that I didn't because I only, I don't know why I didn't, but uh, in my mind, and I think this is me being a little bit of a homer, I was like, well, Stewart should definitely go higher than 10th, just from what I've seen out of him and some of the names that were selected ahead of him. And then uh, Killian Hayes, completely understand it. Everything that you just said makes complete sense. I, I don't blame anyone for saying, hey, let's wait and see on that kid. I, I wouldn't necessarily take him that high in, in a redraft. But for me personally, even though everything that I said to start out this episode, there has been a, a lot of positives out of Killian. I just kind of hope for him that he just starts beating himself up so much just because that's what I, I, I that's the one thing that almost concerns me the most, even more than like aspects of his game is sort of his mental. It's just sometimes you just want to like, go give him a hug or you want to like go pick his chin up for him and just say like, Hey dude, it's going to be all right. You're going to live to see another possession because you just see him sometimes uh, just with those, the shoulders slumped and the head looking down and you know, it, it nothing's that bad. And uh, I would just hope that he can sort of continue to sort of take a step back and just sort of look at things from a bigger picture and not just, sort of microanalyze possession by possession and, and what he could have done right or could have, you know, or where he went wrong or, or whatnot. That's just for me that that a big step for him that I want to see out of him next season is just sort of a, a different mental approach to the game when he's actually on the floor and, and not to be so hard on himself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I part of it I think might just be his demeanor. Like he he he's one of those guys who just never seems to get too high or too low. Um and so sometimes I think we might perceive him getting I mean he's definitely hard on himself. Um but I also don't think he like lets it affect him all that much cuz he just seems like a pretty pretty even-killed guy. Um I I did I swear I listened to a recent podcast. I mean it's probably few weeks old at this point and i don't i can't for the life of me remember who did it but i want to say like kevin pelton was on there and killian definitely went in the top 10 in that um so i I imagine you're going to get a a a pretty wide range of uh of thoughts on killian if you if you do this kind of redraft yeah i know that in the athletic redraft they had him going eight so maybe that's what i was thinking of yeah, that was with Hollinger, James Edwards. Yes, and I can't yep. remember who the third person was. Um, but uh, Sam Vecini. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So th- yeah, I, I mean, I, I understand that that too. You know, I understand if, you know people seeing the flashes. I think uh, you know, I, and if you haven't listened, watched that Kevin O'Connor video yet about Killian Hayes, I suggest you doing that. I, I think it gives you a really good perspective of the positives and negatives of his game and why you should continue to be really excited about him going into next season. Um, but Matt, I don't really have anything else. Do you? No, I think we uh, we covered probably more than we, we expected to, um, given the state of the Pistons. It's a grind, man. This is a grind. <laughs> this last like week is going to feel like three months. We're going to be like Moses in the desert here. Um, but... Uh, all right. Well, that is Inside the Cylinder. Uh, you can follow us on DetroitBadBoys.com, on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast stream, on all the major podcast streams, and then uh, on Twitter at Inside the C-Y-L-N-D-R. And we will catch you all next week. Peace.